Well, if you would, just join me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather as we close 2023. And Lord, our my prayer is really simple this morning, is that Jesus, I, I want every one of us in this room to experience you. And God, I, I don't want another experience from just a person or hearing from some guy giving a message. God, we really, we hunger and thirst to hear from you. And as we walk into 2024, God, uh, we want a fresh word, a fresh experience with you and your spirit. And God, we know that when we experience your spirit, your word, it's transformative. And so for every person here, God, we're not here to play church. We, we want you. And so this morning, Jesus, meet us in a powerful way, in a fresh way. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for being here. Good morning. Um, gosh, this is our, our last um, church service for 2023, which is pretty cool. Um, we're here. We made it. Uh, one of the sleeves on the coffee cup just said, you tried. Yeah, that was 2023. You tried. Christ died. Okay. That's the gospel. We can leave. Um, but yeah, my name is Ryan. Um, I'm super grateful to be with you guys to close out this year. I, I really can't think of a better way to close out 2023 than to be here with you. I, it's such an honor to be a part of this family. Welcome to our community, to our family. If you're new here, it's an honor to have you. Every week we've been trying to make space with these bulletins just to make space for God's word and God's spirit. We believe that the two most powerful things that we do when we gather is to to read God's word and to hear from his spirit. Those are the transformative elements of what we're doing. And so we're making space for that every morning. But, you know, if you've been with us throughout 2023, you know that we've covered a lot of ground in scripture. This year we've walked through what's called the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, which is like Jesus' kind of introduction to the culture of the kingdom. You know, we walked through the book of Galatians, which shares about how we know we can have a right relationship with God, not based on our performance or our works, but based on faith in what Jesus has already done. And then we've been walking through this book called Ephesians in the New Testament, where we've, you know, experienced and seen our new identity in Jesus and how that practically plays out in our life. But we're closing 2023 this morning with a warning. And it's a warning of war. You know, if you're a brand new believer here, or you are somebody who's been faithfully following Jesus for years, or maybe you're kind of peering over the fence trying to figure out what this is all about, you have to know that if you signed up to follow Jesus, you actually signed up to be a part of a battle. You know, a lot of people, when they think of Christianity, they think of this very passive people. They think of delusional people. They think of pansy people. But this is the reality. The Bible paints a completely different picture. In Ephesians chapter 6, what Paul tells us is that the Christian life is actually a war. It's actually a battle. But if you're not in that battle, here's where we typically find ourselves this morning in one of three camps. And we often find ourselves at different seasons in our life. When it comes to this battle that Jesus has invited us into to walk with him and to love him and lead other people to him, we find ourselves in one of three camps this morning. Number one is this, we're we're unaware. We live without an awareness that there actually is a battle that as a follower of Jesus, that walking with Jesus according to scripture is somewhat of a war, but we're unaware of it. And so what happens is we leave our house every day very casually. We're not armored up and we're vulnerable. 
And people in the Christian faith are getting picked off day by day. Their family's falling apart. Their faith's falling apart. Their lives are falling apart. All because we're completely unaware that there's an enemy seeking to take you out. The second group, though, is that people who are uninterested. We're saved, but we're on the sidelines. We're right with God, but we're not in the fight with God. We're content to watch people from the stands, other warriors who are living this out and following Jesus and pursuing people, and we're, we're content to just kind of sit there and watch and let other people live it out. You know, we, we're lulled to sleep by the enemy, by comforts and convenience and pleasure, and we have no idea the purpose Jesus has called us into. Or the other camp is that we're depleted. For many of you, you've been walking this out with Jesus for a while, and 2023 has been really difficult. You have taken blow after blow, and honestly, you're just exhausted. You're, you're not worried about a battle. You're just trying to get through the day, and you need somebody to pick you up and carry you in this fight so that you know you're not alone. You've experienced hardships and attacks. But there's good news this morning, guys, as we close 2023. Here's the reality. You are not left to your own ability. You're not left to your own strength. You're not left to your own armor. No matter where you are, there's a fresh invitation this morning, a fresh opportunity to receive God's strength and his equipment to walk this out into 2024. Amen? This morning, we're going to study one of the most powerful texts in all of Scripture about this idea, this reality of following Jesus in this battle. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this from three angles in the text that Paul gives us. There's the command, the warning, and the equipment. The command, the warning, and the equipment. To set up our text, here's where we find ourselves. In Ephesians... Paul, who's writing this letter to this church, just like you guys, that he's planted in this community, and he's telling them about their new identity in Jesus, and he's saying, here's who you are. You have this new self, this new identity you can walk in every day, and then here's how that practically plays out in your life so you can start living this out. But what he's going to do is he's going to punctuate this whole letter with this warning, and here's his first command that he gives us. He starts with a command. The command, if you're taking notes, is this. It's really simple. Stand firm. Stand firm. The command is stand firm. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. He says this. Finally, meaning after everything we've talked about, please listen to me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. We'll just stop there for a moment. Paul's first command when it comes to this, walking this out with Jesus, is you have to stand firm. Now, he closes, or he opens with this idea, finally, meaning like, it doesn't really matter what you've heard. It doesn't matter what you've learned. It doesn't matter in 2023, all the, the notes we've taken, if you don't listen to what he's about to say. And so he's getting our attention, and his command is simple. You need to stand firm. In fact, he uses this word stand four times in these first four verses. 
stand, stand firm, withstand, therefore stand. So he's trying to make sure we get this point. The word stand that he uses here, or stand firm, it's a military term that means to hold your position, to hold your ground. So think about this, hold your position. You think of like uh, an army that's like laid down in a bunker and the enemy is coming to attack them and they are, they're yelling at each other, hold your position, hold your ground, do not retreat, hold your ground. I think of like one of my favorite movies, Lord of the Rings and like Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli and they're held up in that cave with all the goblins. You guys remember this? The th- no, no other nerds, okay. The thousands of goblins, this side gets me. The thousands of goblins are coming and they're holed up in that cave and they're not, they are not retreating. They're holding their ground. They're immovable. As First Timothy says, they're guarding the good deposit entrusted to them. They're standing firm. You know, Ephesians 4, two chapters before Paul commands us this, he tells you what it looks like to not stand firm. He says, this is what it's like when you don't stand firm, that your children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. When you're not standing firm, you're just all over the place. You're tempted and tricked and you don't really know what you stand on. You don't really know what it means to be immovable in Jesus. You're, you're constantly waving and believing lies. You're constantly drawn away into things that try to take your life instead of give you life. So Paul says, stand firm. You know who you are in Jesus now. You know who you are. You're loved, you're forgiven, you're righteous in Christ, but you need to hold your position. Now, how do you do that? Look at what he says in verse 10. It's really cool. Look, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. There is this weird dichotomy in scripture where you are called to be strong and yet it's only by his strength. Did you catch the text? He says, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Meaning you are only empowered and strengthened in Christ so much so as you're depending on his strength. You actually don't have any strength in Christ on your own. Apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5 says. So it's his strength and his power. There's this weird dichotomy that I'm completely dependent on Jesus and his power, and yet in that I'm called to access it and apply it to my life. We think of verses like Isaiah 40, 29. It says he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Zechariah 4, 6, I love this. He says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So you may feel this morning, you're like, I don't have any strength. Well, guess what? You're the perfect candidate. You're completely available and dependent to receive a supernatural power that is given to those who are willing to come with open hands. But Paul, what's powerful here. He doesn't leave it there. Listen, the text that Paul reads and gives us is very active language. Listen to this language. Be strong, put on, stand against, having done all. Withstand, stand firm, take up. That means, guys, we have a part to play in this. God will entrust to us all the superpower, supernatural power we need. Superpower, yeah, I love it. But we, as believers, have to access it and apply it. It's available to you. But many of us are unaware or uninterested. 
But Paul is adamant, you need to stand firm. Why? Why is he so adamant about standing firm? Well, here's the second point, and this is why. He gives you a warning. Here is the warning. You have an enemy, Satan and his associates. Sounds like a law firm. They're probably one downtown. They're like 82 law firms. Some people just being outright with it. Satan and his associates. In Southtown, there's a witch shop just right there, okay? Satan and his associates. Here's your warning. Verse 11, here's what Paul says. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against, and you might underline this, the schemes of the devil. Don't gloss over that. And then he says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That phrase means people. You're not wrestling against people. Here's what you're wrestling against. Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Guys, that is not casual language. Paul never wastes a word. If it's in scripture, there's a reason. So Paul commands us to stand firm. Why? Why is he warning us? Why is he so adamant? Why does he say it four times? Because you have an enemy that is seeking to destroy you. He says this, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The the word wrestle there means hand-to-hand combat. Come on. I mean, you're not, it's not hand-to-hand combat against people. We often think as Christians, like, people are our enemy. Oh, those people out there are my enemy. Those people, their stance, their views, their political leaning, that's the enemy. Well, guess what? Paul's saying that's not your enemy. In fact, you don't wrestle against people. But the enemy of Christianity, as the text reads, is somebody called the devil. And he is ultimately what's behind the order of the world and the culture and the mindset of the world that is antagonistic to Jesus. Now, I know that can be a lot to understand or believe. If you're hearing that for the first time, that's a little out there, right? But, but the Bible declares that we have an enemy, and not only an enemy, but his associates. Listen, the name the devil that, that Paul gives us here, that, that word means accuser. In Scripture, it speaks of an enemy that we have that accuses God's people day and night, is what Revelation says. The word Satan, also used for him, means adversary. He's an opponent of God. He's also called the tempter. He's called a murderer. He's called a liar. He's compared to a lion who seeks to eat you. He's compared to a serpent who seeks to deceive you. He's called an angel of light because he's so deceptive you would never know it's even him. He's called the God of this age because behind the world and the order of the world that seeks to push you away from Jesus is a force or a power that he's propelling. So where does he come from? The book of Isaiah talks about that the devil was an angel who was cast out because of his pride. He wanted to be God and therefore he was cast out. And scripture says that one third of all the heavenly host was cast out with him. And so the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces is this slew of angels now that work for him. And I don't understand all of this, guys, I'll be honest. I know some of this is, it's kind of out there, but scripture speaks to this idea that there are very real spiritual forces of the devil and his associates that are seeking to deceive you and destroy you. Now look, when, when it comes to talking about the devil, you, you know, often you find yourself in kind of two camps of people. There's people who don't think about him at all and everything that happens is completely physical you can, you can understand it, you can explain it. Or there's people who think he's in everything, right? Like, 
my alarm clock didn't go off this morning. It's an attack from the devil. That phone went off in church. That's a demon in that phone. The president is the Antichrist. Every year the president is the Antichrist. Okay? Um, so you can, you can go way too far either way here, guys. But I think it's important because I, I personally don't think about this much and don't think about this enough, that in Scripture, we see that we are combating a very real enemy that seeks to deceive you. His name, to accuse you, to to tempt you, and to destroy you. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to give you life and life abundant. So Paul says we need to stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen to that language. Stand against the schemes of the devil. That word scheme, it's the word method. I want you to picture this with me. It's as if Satan and his associates are in a whiteboard room, just like they prepare for a football game, and they are scheming on how to take you out. They are scheming and drawing up plays on where you're vulnerable and where they can attack you and take you out and ruin your life. They are scheming. So listen, here's a question for you. If the enemy was going to take you out in 2024, how would he do it? And are you armored up and ready for it? If the enemy was scheming to take you out and you were just kind of trying to think about it and reverse engineer to understand his playbook, how would he do it? I was talking to a friend this week about this idea. And, you know, we were just thinking, you know, I think oftentimes when I think about like a spiritual attack or an enemy I think of like big grandiose things. Like, oh, he would try to ha- make me have a moral failure. Or, or maybe I would deny my faith. Or it would be some massive sin or collapse in my life. But I think if we're honest, and what he was telling me is, it's, all, it's mostly a lot more subtle and deceptive than that. Because the enemy, he's called an angel of light. He deceives you. You, you think it's good, and yet he has another agenda. I think it's things like, guys, like subtle lies that he gets you to start believing. That it's just one degree to the next. Before you know it, you're you're way off course with Jesus. It's small sins that he gets you to start justifying. I mean, it's it's just a little bit of this. Or I know maybe I shouldn't go on a date with them. It's a little bit of bitterness that he gets us to start accepting. Just a little bit is okay. It's lulling us, guys. Listen. Christmas time, especially lulling us to sleep spiritually and slowly with convenience and comfort and pleasure until before you know it, you look up, you're not even on the battlefield anymore. You're in the stands watching other people. So what would it look like? I was talking with my wife about this this week. I think, you know, if I were thinking about how how would the enemy try to take me out? One of the ways I think would be to try to turn spouses against each other. The number one way the enemy might try to attack you is to turn you against your marriage partner because the Bible says a house divided cannot stand. So little things, little bit of bitterness that you never voice to your spouse, just a little bit of this, a little sin, a little peek, a little browser, and he'll turn you against each other. And so it's the subtle things, it's the deceptive things. Here's what you need to know about the enemy. He cannot take your salvation from you. He can't do that, but here's what he'll do. He'll try to do whatever he can to take you out of the battle, off the field, put you on the sidelines, take away your credibility, take away your voice, and keep you silent. Because if you're on the sidelines, he's not worried about you, homie. 
just a heads up. He's not worried about you because you're not in the battle. You're not following Jesus. You're not getting other people to follow Jesus. You're not running after people. So Paul says this, though. He says, we are not unaware of his schemes. And so what Paul does from there is he gives us equipment. He says, here's the command, stand firm. Here's the warning. You have an enemy seeking to take you out. Whether you're unaware, uninterested, you're depleted, or you're in the fight, you have an enemy seeking to take you out. And so Paul, God, in his power and strength, he gives us his equipment. And this is what's called the armor of God. This is our third point, the equipment, the armor of God. And here's what Paul says. Therefore, meaning in light of this command, in light of this enemy, here's what you need to know. Take up the whole armor of God. Not a part of it, not a piece of it, all of it, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. So let's pause there, guys. Here's what we're gonna do for the rest of our time here. I'm gonna walk through these pieces of armor just individually briefly. As Paul gives us this, remember, for those who are weak, for those who are depleted, it's his armor, it's his power, it's his strength, not ours. We're only accessing and implementing what he has entrusted to us. So he starts, take up the whole armor of God, and it starts with what's called the belt of truth. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Listen, guys, belts don't do anything but tell you the truth. Okay? Some of, some of our belts today are telling us a lot of truth. And it's not truth in love. It's not. My belt is screaming at me, work out! I like how the King James Version uses the word girdle. Everybody say girdle. <laughs> kind of sounds like a bad word, right? Um, so not the, the girdle. Here's, here's the idea. The belt, without the belt of truth, guys, all of your other armor falls apart. It falls off. The belt is what fastens it all together. So I love this idea that it, it girds you up. It fastens you. So he talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is truth. But it doesn't really matter if you can use truth if your life is not built on truth. If you're not practically living out truth. So the belt of truth is this idea that your life is fastened and centered in truth. Here's the culture we live in, guys. The culture that we live in tells you, ah, oh, man, it's your truth. My truth whatever version of truth you want. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says it's the belt of truth and that Jesus is the truth. The way, the truth, and the life. He says his word is the truth. The spirit is truth. And so I got news for you. Jesus is the truth. And in Matthew 7, Jesus says you either build your life on a solid rock, which is his words, or you build your life on sinking sand. So today, your life is either fastened in the truth of Jesus or you're living a lie. So is your belt fastened with truth? The second thing that he says 
is the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this piece of armor would have been like a, a large metallic piece, the, probably the biggest piece of our armor that covers you from the neck all the way to the waist and all around your body. This armor you think of like in our day and age, like a bulletproof vest. It covers all of your vital organs. And this symbolizes our righteousness in Jesus. What does that mean? It means that as a believer, we're not hanging our hat on our righteousness, on my right living or my works. When I meet God, I'm right with him because of what Jesus has done, not what I can do. Amen? So I live my life armored up with that truth. Every day when I leave my house and I'm receiving attacks or lies or words of, you know, you're not enough, Ryan. You haven't done enough. You haven't tried enough. You failed here. Well, guess what? I've got armor on, bro. And that's the righteousness of Jesus, that I'm covered and I'm secure and all my vital organs are protected because I am protected in Christ and what he's done. So when you experience those attacks, you can remind yourself, no, I'm righteous because of what Jesus has done. I've got my armor on. The third thing he says is the shoes of the gospel. Now, I love this one, right? We don't necessarily think about shoes with armor. The shoes of the gospel, look at what Paul says. He says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I love that. Underline that word, readiness. So the shoes, guys, so the gospel has put us at peace with God. Romans 5, 1 says we have peace with God because of Christ. Like if you think of an estranged relationship in your life, when you reconcile with that person, you have peace with that person. That's the gospel. You were separated from God, but Jesus, by dying for you, has reconciled you back to the Father. You have peace with God through Jesus. You're at peace with him if you know Jesus. But now because of that, we have shoes that give us a readiness to live this out in our life in the daily battle. So think about this. Like if somebody broke into your house tomorrow, what's the first thing you do? The first thing you do is put on pants, right? That is the first thing I would do. You got to put on pants. The second thing I would do is probably put on shoes. Because if I'm about to be in a battle or I'm about to run for my life with my daughter, I need shoes. I want to be agile. I want to be versatile. Okay, I don't want to be running down downtown here with the stuff that's on the ground outside my house, shoeless. So what's cool is the Roman soldiers that Paul's referring to, they used in their sandals, they had these cutouts called hobnails where it would give them more traction for their toes. So they, they, could, they could get somewhere more versatile. They were more versatile, more agile. And so what he's saying here is, are you ready and equipped with the gospel of peace? Are you ready and equipped? Do you live with a sense of readiness? When your armor is on, if God were to present an opportunity today for you to share the gospel of peace with somebody, would you be ready? Would you be equipped? Do you have your shoes on? Are you versatile? Are you able? Can you move that direction? I remember I was, I was thinking about how this, an example of this. When I was living over in the condo on the east side, I had this neighbor. He was a nine-year-old kid. His name was Jeremiah. And he went to this private school, so he had a, a private school uniform. So he told me that every night he goes to sleep fully dressed in his private school uniform. And he wears his shoes to sleep. Because he told me if anybody ever breaks into the house, he's fully clothed and ready to go. And I'm like, number one, why are you thinking about that at nine years old? 
But we had a lot of fires in our neighborhood, so it was starting to make sense, and I was about to start sleeping with my shoes on. But Jeremiah, without even fully understanding this, was equipped and ready for battle. Every night, no matter what happened, he was not going to be caught off guard. My man went to sleep ready. So if there was an opportunity, he was equipped. He was ready. Are you ready? Do you have shoes on your feet? When you live your life daily, are you living with this missional idea? What, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? Are you equipped? Are you agile? Are you versatile with the gospel? The fourth thing that Paul gives us is the shield of faith. And he expounds on this one a little bit more. Look at what verse 16 says. He says, in all circumstances... No matter what comes your way in 2024, whether people or problems or persecution, listen, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Are you guys tracking with me? Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Here's what's cool. These shields were massive pieces of wood, four foot long by two foot wide. It would cover your whole front body. They had leather straps all the way on the front, and when, before they would go to war, they would dip this and drench it in water so that if there was fiery darts aimed at them, it could douse it. And so they were walking with this shield prepared for a fight. And what Paul is saying is in every circumstance, you can have your armor, you can have your shield of faith. That means you can turn to trust Jesus in any circumstance. No matter what attack you face today, no matter what fiery dart comes your way, you can in faith use your shield. That means you can trust Jesus with no matter what is happening. You can use your shield. I'm going to put it up no matter what comes my way. I'm going to believe that God is with me. God is for me. God is working in me no matter what I experience. I'm going to use faith. I'm going to trust Jesus. But here's, here's what was really cool about these shields, guys. These shields had fastens on the side because they were intended to be linked with other people's shields so that you could create a wall and a barrier and a blockade so that you had, uh, it, it meant it was intended to be used alongside other warriors so you could link up with some other people because you weren't supposed to go into battle alone suggest that the Christian life, guys, is not something you should be doing solo. Think about this. I was, you know, this past week on Thursday, I had a, I'll just be honest, I had a pretty rough day. And I felt like I was a really crummy husband. Um, I was just had a poor attitude. I made mistakes with some of the things that I said. And so I reached out to my discipleship group and just confessed to them my sin. Here's where I'm at, guys. Here's where I'm blowing it. I don't want to be an angry husband. I don't want to have these motions that take over me and that I, I falter and fail my wife. and I sin against Jesus. And so sharing that with them and what was really powerful was to receive the prayers of all these individuals. To share with me, hey man, I'm praying for you, man. Hey, you're not alone. Hey, I'm in this with you. Hey, I'm going through that as well. And I shared that with multiple people just asking for prayer because I know I don't want to go into this battle alone. I don't want to be the only dude out there with a shield. I want to link up with some other guys because we're stronger together. And so the reality is you've got to ask yourself, are you doing battle alone? Are you out on the field trying to live this out 
by yourself when you have the opportunity to link up with a lot of other people. Because the reality is at some point you're going to get depleted. And you're going to falter. And you're going to be on IR. And you're going to need somebody else to carry you. And you don't want to look around and be alone. Paul continues with this, the fifth piece of armor, the helmet of salvation. And he says to take the helmet of salvation. Here's what you need to know about the enemy. Satan, if he can do anything, wants to attack your mind. This is where you are most vulnerable, your mind. He wants to fill your mind with deception, with lies, with fear, with discouragement with depression, with anxiety. Just a subtle turn of the truth. Just a subtle assumption that transforms everything. And he will try to destroy your mind because the Bible says as a man think, so he is. So if he can get to your mind, he can get to your life. So He has the ability to use thoughts and ideas and to plant them or confuse you, distract you, deceive you, embitter you, frustrate you. But what we do in the Bible, it says that you have the ability to take every thought captive under the obedience of Christ. The Bible says you have the mind of Christ. You have the helmet of salvation where you can place this on daily so that your mind is ruled and reigned by the word of God and what he thinks about you not what the accuser is telling you about you. So a question for you is, listen, where are you currently letting the enemy fill your mind with thoughts that are not in alignment with God's thoughts of you? Where are you allowing the enemy to fill your mind with thoughts that are not in alignment with how God thinks of you, how he loves you, how he looks at you? And it's, it's easy to fall into this, guys. I've, I've spent seasons of my life not putting on my helmet and letting fear, anxiety, lies permeate my mind and destroy my life to take my joy. What if in 2024 you put your helmet on every day and you had other people that you could share with that could say, hey, that's not a thought from God. That's not a word from Jesus. You've got to put your helmet on, bro. And the last thing, the last piece of armor that Paul gives us is what's called the sword of the spirit. Verse 17, he says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the only offensive piece of the armor, he he goes into prayer, which I think is one as well, which we're going to talk about more in a little bit. But the only offensive piece other than that is what's called the sword of the spirit. And that's the word of God. This sword would have actually been a small dagger. Don't think like Lancelot type sword you're waving around that's all bulky. This is tight, okay? This is like tight in close combat, okay? And it's linked to that girdle. Everybody say girdle. I just wanted to see if y'all would do that. Um, Sorry. So Hebrews 4 says that this sword, the word of God, is living and active, sharper, than any two-edged sword. So a physical sword can cut your flesh, but the word of God, the spirit, the sword of the spirit can cut you to the core. In Acts chapter two, it says it cut them to the heart when they heard the word of God. Listen, the Bible is the only book, you don't read it, it reads you. When you hear God's word, it's reading you. It's cutting you up to the smallest of spaces as it says to bone and marrow. 
So Jesus, listen, when Jesus battled the enemy, we have a Lord and Savior who's gone before us in every respect, right? That's what we talked about last week. Well, guess what? Jesus faced a battle in the wilderness, Luke chapter 4. He fasted for 40 days, 40 nights, didn't drink water. When he was at his most vulnerable and susceptible, then God allowed him to fight the enemy. And the enemy came at him with three different scriptures that were all twisted and distorted, just a hair. He'll take God's word and he'll just, just a tweak off. And if you don't really know your word, you won't know the difference. So Jesus, with the sword of the spirit, combats him with the word of God. He takes out the sword of the spirit and just destroys this fool in the wilderness with the word of God. But in order to use the word, guys, we gotta know the word. We've gotta have it in our hearts. We've gotta have it in our minds. We've gotta have it in our armory. If somebody cuts us, we bleed the Bible. That's how much it's in us. So the sword of the spirit. So Paul, as we kind of close out in this text, Paul makes us aware, guys, as followers of Jesus, we are in a battle. We are in a war. And he commands us, every person in here, to stand firm. Hold your position in Christ. You know who you are in Jesus. You know you're loved. You know you're forgiven. You know you're righteous because of what Jesus did, not what you can do. So this year, you need to stand firm. The world and culture is going to try to pull you away, distort the truth. So how are you going to stand firm? Well, you're going to put on your armor. You're going to put on your armor every day. You're going to put on his strength. You're going to be strong in the strength of his might. And so this morning as we close, you know, I want us to think about this and take some time to reflect. But I think, guys, honestly, as we prepare for 2024, I'll be honest, I think for some of us it's time to wake up spiritually. It's time to wake up. 2024 is not going to be an easy year for many of us. This is going to be a political season. There are many things ahead. And you need to be awake. You need to be ready. You need to be armored up every day. And that's not to provoke fear. That's just a sobriety to say, okay, I want to be prepared in his strength and in his power. Romans 13, 11, and 12 says this, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So this morning as we close, I'm going to give you a few questions just to chew on uh, with our time, and then we'll, I'm going to invite the band up here to lead us in a response song. But here's a couple questions that you might just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you in. How might Satan take you out in 2024? Like if the enemy was scheming against you, what is it that's on your horizon right now that you're like, man, that, that's something that we need to be mindful of. That's something we need to be aware of and ready for. That's something we need to be having conversations about. Maybe even right now as you leave to say, hey, I, I got to get this off my chest. I got to confess this to you now. Get it into the light, guys. Don't go into 2024 with anything in darkness. Second, where do you need to focus on applying your armor in 2024? Like when we walk through those pieces of armor, where are you most vulnerable? 
Maybe right now it's your mental health is really struggling and you've got to work on putting on your helmet every day. You've got to have some people in your life that can speak the truth of God to your mind daily because it's a struggle right now. You need, you need to learn the word of God. You need a sword of the spirit. Maybe you need to start reading God's word every day so that as things come up, you're equipped with it. You're fueled with it. It's in your heart. It's in your mind. You know, maybe your shield of faith doesn't have anybody locked to it. Maybe you need some other warriors in your life that you know you can link up with, that you're not alone. Maybe you need to ask somebody and say, hey, I need somebody to disciple me. I need somebody to walk with me and train me on how to follow Jesus. I don't want to do this alone. And we have people who are making disciples all throughout this church, people who are walking with people on a weekly basis. We have almost 30 discipleship groups going on of people who are meeting, confessing sin, walking through Scripture, obeying Jesus. Maybe you need to link shields with somebody in battle in 2024. Who would that be? So I want to give you some time just to pray through this, think through this, and ask Jesus to speak to you. And then we will uh, respond in worship.